0: I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PMF. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on
1: this? I yeah, like football, like football season, all the things that go with it.
0: Welcome into to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're back here live Wednesday edition of the PFF NFL Podcast. Appreciate Mike Renner jumping in yesterday. You guys did a
1: little draft talk. Yeah. Who knew he was still around? Not
0: us. Certainly not us. <laughs> because he didn't communicate with us where he was going to be or when. But look at that. He showed up in the studio on a Tuesday. Uh-huh.
1: Good for him. In the building. Good for him.
0: That was great. Now you guys... Good, good chat yeah. yesterday.
1: So we, we talked, I, I asked Mike a little bit about um, Shane Steichen to the Colts because that was news yesterday. I don't think the Jonathan Gannon one was known at the time, but let's do them both because I haven't heard what you think. Yeah, we're going to get into the recent coach hirings
0: that's in the title. So uh, Shane Steichen, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. So both Eagles coordinators get coaching jobs, mm-hmm. head coaching jobs. Despite losing. Despite, despite losing. People wanted to uh, overreact to the other night. Yep. Um, Steichen first to the Colts. I mean, I thought it made sense, right? We have a a small track record. I think for Shane Steichen here, he took over play calling for Nick Sirianni in 2021. They, as much as I like to cite the fact that they didn't run the ball and then they did by about week seven or eight mm-hmm. in 21, the Eagles it did coincide coincide with um, Shane Steichen calling the plays. Um, he also was with the Chargers with Justin Herbert, yep, rookie his season. rookie season. So, there you see his little coaching career there and everything. So, yeah, I think it's good. He was OC with, with Herbert in, in a year that, you know, he, you, with an offensive coordinator, I think it's all about expectation in and in achieving something above expectation. And I think you have to say Shane has done that the last three years with Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts under center.
1: He's another uh, Louisville offensive assistant. Is that also Petrino? That's not. That
0: may have been Petrino back there in 2010 that would be weird
1: somehow both these coordinators started off with petrino
0: i don't remember offhand but yeah um jonathan gannon got his start as an assistant at louisville under bobby petrino followed bobby petrino to the nfl with the falcons
1: so since these are or since these hires have been made i've been kind of reading up you know the some of the there's always like a inside the mechanism of how this thing happened right so kind of casting around trying to glean some insights into how these various hires have been made, and I believe I have pinpointed the moment that Shane Steichen was given the job. Really? Would you like to hear it? I would. Lo- I would love to. So this, I believe, I closed the article, but I think it's from this one. Um, I think it's from a, a Zach Kiefer article in the Athletic. Uh, the line reads as thus: It was a lot like we we talked before about how you know they what those twelve-hour meetings look like, where they threw up a whole bunch of scenarios and blah blah blah, and you know. Down and distance, try to get him to react, right? And the line reads, Steichen excelled, reminding one person in the room of what they used to hear from Peyton Manning. At which point, presumably Jim Irsay is like, lock it in, done, sold, new coach, that's it. This was him
0: just reciting plays off the top of his head?
1: I, reacting to down and distance, to situations, to whatever the you know yeah. the scenario was that was thrown his way. He had, you know, had answers. Reminded of. And as soon as he was reminded of, of Peyton Manning, the deal was done.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. That's about, that's about the time. Yeah, that's when, you, that's when you're sold. We had a listener. Get Peyton back in the building.
1: That reminds me. We had a listener uh, essentially Photoshop up the scenario that we painted the other day, which was the interviews basically being 12 yeah. hours of Jim Irsay waxing the various candidates using Madden. We were theorizing what, what what's happening for the 12 hours.
0: Yeah. Now we know Jeff Saturday didn't get the job. They may have been fishing for 12 hours. Who knows? But I still we, think
1: this was a lot. I mean, this, this is kind of what it sounded like.
0: Theoretically, they may have been. We said they could have been playing Madden and, uh, you know, going back to the '04 4 Colts. Let's get the old 04, 4 Colts out uh-huh. there. And you know, run the run coaches through some uh, some scenario. Analysis.
1: That was uh, sent to us by Ryan Euler, I believe. I assume that name is pronounced. He had a big question attached to it as well about on-off splits for offensive linemen, which, frankly, we're just—I mean, we're just not going to talk about today, sadly. It's, it's an interesting question, but we're not going to—we're not going to do it today. But I, mean, th- I feel like we had to put up his Photoshop. That was another one.
0: Um, not to circle back to the Super Bowl, but another one of the things that Greg Olson called that was just in the moment, spot on that you just most people glossed over when Andrew Wiley when they did the ring around the Rosie deal yeah Andrew Wiley was an eligible receiver so as the right tackle if you become eligible you can't go from an eligible receiver to an ineligible on the next play it's a rule so Lucas Niang came in mm-hmm. for a play so um what's the Kevin Burkhardt says Lucas Niang's in at right tackle. And like right off the, Olsen's like, yeah, you just can't be, you know, you can't be ineligible and then eligible the next play, basically. Or eligible and ineligible the next play. That's why Niang is in. Like where most people, a lot of times you see announcers like, wow, there's a backup right tackle. What's going right. on? It's like, well, it's just a rule. This happens a lot when, you're, when you play, uh, when you do tackle eligible type stuff.
1: Did you see the report that he was going to have to take a pay cut from like $10 million to $3 million as soon as Brady comes on board? Yeah. What kind of crap is that?
0: It's just the tier. It's just the system. It's like you get the number one guy is getting a lot, and the number two guy gets this, and the number three guy gets that. That's it's probably baked into your contract.
1: Right. But like if,
0: I, if we promote you to general manager, you'll be in a whole new pay band. It's a whole different pay yeah, band.
1: Yeah, no, no. It should go up. But like if you hire some other random, my pay shouldn't immediately get slashed by 75%. If we dropped you to a lesser role. No. Like in a world where there's seven there's seven
0: slots. They're you, all slotted. There's seven slots. If you sign... A it's, new it's starting. In his contract, they're not like, hey, we're going to rip up your contract. It's got to be in his contract. If you're the number two guy, it's only $3
1: million. If sorry. you sign a new starting right tackle, the guy that was there already doesn't immediately find his pay reduced by 75% and shouldn't. Yes, That's the deal you the signed him The NFL has to. a
0: different contract. Presume like, This wasn't like, hey, Greg, I know we signed you to $10 million, and that was you know signed for three years, but you're going to have to now make three. That's not what's implied there.
1: Yeah, but this what's is what's implied absurd. there is
0: if you're number 1 you make 10 if you're number 2 you make 3 and he signed his name to it.
1: Well, that's silly. He should renegotiate. Well, yeah, there of should course he should be renegotiating. He's worth way more
0: than that. He's awesome. He's there's no way
1: Brady's going to be better than Olsen. Right. So it's ridiculous that his is. pay is getting reduced by that volume. By the way, that's, yes, but that's completely independent. That's completely independent of the fact that Brady's on like 35 a year, whatever it is.
0: Of course that's why Olsen can only make 3. Because Brady's getting all the money.
1: Yeah, you got to free up that seven. To Brady
0: get, helped the salary cap for twenty-two years. He's not fifth, doing it anymore. Not doing it for Fox. To
1: get a fifth of the way to to paying for Brady,
0: if Brady wants to win, maybe he'll only play for twenty. Like Greg gets some money, if he wants Fox to win. How does that help Brady? Helps Fox. Team guy. Team guy. guy. You want Fox to win? You want Fox to win the, the the ratings war. The ratings war. Yeah, of course. Right. What are we talking about? Gannon now. The oh, let's, other finish, guy let's finish Steichen. There's you. one quote. Like, look, Nick Sirianni went out there, had one of the worst first press conferences you've ever seen. So we don't want to overrate first press conferences or statements, both positively or negatively, mm-hmm. right? But Shane Steichen said, they said, what's your philosophy? Call him plays. He said he will call plays, by the way, um, yeah. which we also saw with Nathaniel Hackett and others. Maybe it's a it's a challenge early on when you're trying to run the entire team and call plays. Mm-hmm. But Shane said, we're going to pass to score and run to win, yeah. which I thought was a good first first day philosophy.
1: I mean, he also explained that sometimes the game plan goes out the window. You know, like he's gone into games thinking they're going to pass a ton. They end up running the ball a lot. So he's going to be led by the game, the flow, not necessarily rigid to the game plan, which I think is good. The only other thing I think we need to comment about in this particular uh, hiring was the press conference or the opening, the photo, you know, Steichen there with the Colts helmet, Chris Ballard on his left. Jim Ursay on his right, and the only way I can describe the look on Jim Ursay's face is it's like he's trying to smile based solely on a written description of smiling. Like, that's the only information he has on how to do this. I That's that's literally the only way I can think of to describe what that face is. Surely they caught him right when they told him to smile. Like, he's not done with the smile yet. <laughs> it's, mid, it's mid assume the position?
0: Yeah. Or it's I, like it's you know sometimes it's like the eighth picture in a set and he's like is this done yet right he's like yeah, is this done he's, he's talking he's talking while trying to hold the smile yeah and they caught him mid like get this over with right that's what I, he's doing
1: maybe it's the opposite I mean look that's maybe. why you always want video rather than still photos you know you never know what what moment you caught the guy in like Adam case crazy eyes yes although that was crazy whatever um, the and video, then, the video didn't help
0: that one the final thing on Steichen though too I just thought he said past you know pass to score, run to win. They ran the ball a ton in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it, it seems like he can do anything. They did the double-cheek push. They ran in the, the QB sneak stuff. They were at the, the cutting
1: edge of edges, we'll say. The cutting edge of edges.
0: Yes. That makes no sense.
1: No, no it doesn't. They're on the cutting edge offensively. The cutting edge of the edge. Yeah.
0: Just cut that out. We'll just cut that out of the podcast. We edit things when I screw up. Mm-hmm. You'll never see it. Um, they're on the cutting edge in Philadelphia. Yeah. So presumably he'll bring that to now, Indianapolis.
1: Gannon to Arizona. Or has you referred to him as the other guy?
0: The other guy, Jonathan Camp. That was before the show, man. People don't know that.
1: I know. The other guy. But I just think it nicely it sort of nicely encapsulates the hiring, you know? I I went through his Wikipedia page just to get the um The skinny? Yeah, just to
0: get the order of operations, right? When he was hired and and all that stuff. And there's not a lot of information there, but clearly an Eagles fan went in and did like two paragraphs on the game the other night. <laughs> It was like Gannon played soft coverages, negated his own pass rush, got carved up by Mahomes, wide open receivers, and all this stuff. That was the lasting impression. But, you know, two years as defensive coordinator for the Eagles, and it's a zone-heavy team. They run the shell stuff. It's Fangio-esque. It's not necessarily the Fangio tree, but it's, you know, a lot of, um, we're yeah, going like, to sit back and not give up big plays.
1: I think it, it's weird because I think it's actually a valid criticism, just not specific to that game. Like, I think that game is a bad game to highlight what is an overall trend in Gannon's philosophy, which does appear to be playing very soft and being uh, too passive when it comes to coverage and, and pressure and all that kind of stuff, right? He doesn't like to blitz, doesn't like to kind of mix things up and get too aggressive, and he's improved in that area. But, like, year one, it was problematically in that area. Year two, it's been better, but it's still like it's still a little bit weak when you consider, like, okay, if you go anywhere that doesn't have the best f- pass rush in the NFL and a ton of good players on the back end, what does that look like? Well, yeah, my question would be, how much of that is just this is what
0: I have, I have inherited right, but he was doing that Eagles before he top had five that. pass rush. Yeah, he wasn't calling plays before Philly, though.
1: No, 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 but early in the Philly tenure, he was doing like this year. He had the personnel where they, it they makes still sense.
0: had a top five pass rush last year, though they still had a top five pass. They have never not had a top five pass rush. They still had Javon Hargrave. They had Fletcher Cox. They had Josh Sweat. Like all those guys were on the team in 2021. They rushed the passer well. How many guys had? Four guys had 30 plus pressures. Derek Barnett in there and everything. Milton Williams. So it wasn't as good as this year. wasn't no, as deep when they added close. Hassan Reddick and everything. But it was still a good pass rush. So how much was it? Was that? I mean, it was it was really soft coverage yeah that we saw then you get the dome factor
1: the dome factor
0: yeah i mean if i'm a defensive coach i don't know if i want to go coach in a dome philadelphia had worse.
1: the number 11 pressure rate last year
0: yeah in number five pass rush grade which means more <laughs> means more than pressure rate <laughs>
1: uh-huh pressure saying, rates tied to coverage i don't pass rush grade is i don't know tied that i less necessarily to had a top five they did because
0: pass rush grade is a better indicator.
1: Yeah, it might be, but that puts him five, and if it's generous by one, they don't have a top five pass rush.
0: Anyway, so it's a fair, so it's a fair point. Now you're going to Arizona, um, who don't have a top five, who don't pass have rush any kind by of by any rush. measure. So you have to you have to adjust to your personnel. Just like I think Steichen is, I feel like Shane Steichen in Indianapolis. has shown that he can adjust to his personnel, right? It doesn't mean he's going to run Jonathan Taylor 30 times, but I'm sure Jonathan Taylor is going to be a big part of their rushing attack in Indy, even though they want to throw the ball. I'm curious to see what Gannon does in Arizona. It's a complete rebuild though, man. It's a complete Mm -hmm. rebuild in Arizona from the ground up. I think they should, they're looking to trade DeAndre Hopkins. They're looking to trade players. Kyler might be missing this year. We already said this job is an interesting one because it's such a long-term one. I don't think we're learning much about Jonathan Gannon this year, no matter what happens with Arizona.
1: Does this feel like this was Arizona's, you know, top choice? Or does this feel like they ended up going quite far into the list before they hired somebody? I They probably went
0: far into the list. Because
1: I think— because. When you're, it's after the Super Bowl. Well, because they're both late, right? These are both sort yeah. of late hirings. But, but sometimes
0: you're waiting till after the Super Bowl. Like, right. Eric Biennium getting interviews right now because it's after the Super Bowl.
1: Um, and it does – is he? Aren't all the jobs filled? OC in uh, Washington. Oh, Just kidding. Oh, wow. Oh, look, yeah. Um, the, the, because of the – so they're both late. They're both post-Super Bowl. And we're getting a lot of process stories about the Colts one and how – You know, it may have looked like they were just killing time until they hired Jeff Saturday, but actually this was a really exhaustive process that involved 50 candidates and extensive interviews and 12-hour marathon, blah, 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 blah. And then we we ended up settling on Shane Steichen. And because Steichen, I think, was seen as, you know, one of the top candidates this off season anyway, collectively that's kind of tallying to, all right, this does appear to have been a sound process by the Colts and not the shambles that it looked like when we were just getting piecemeal interviews. It feels like, we haven't sort of had that resolution with the cardinals one and maybe we're just lacking the process stories that paint the picture and the narrative but this one feels a lot more like we asked a few people they all said no and now we've we went to number 8 on the list they were in on
0: Sean Payton right they were in on um did they get Kafka out there interviewing
1: uh in Arizona I'm not sure which was critically but they were also late to um, Lou Anarumo, right? Was involved in that one. True. But right. one of the elements about the Colt search is that they weren't ever, apparently, in on, on the Sean Payton or the Jim Harbaugh stuff. Like they were never going for the kind of Hollywood name right. coach. They were only ever after you know whatever the next looking guy, or the next guy looked like. I, I just have to
0: say, I think we don't know though. We don't know anything. Sure. About
1: this stuff, right? So we can feel.
0: we spent 17 minutes on it. I think that's um, that's enough there's only so much we could say about head coaches the the determining factor will be how they lead others it won't be their. it's probably not their play calling history how they lead
1: leader of men lead, just gotta, like coach
0: saturday gotta be a leader of men mm-hmm. i mean maybe saturday would have been good in a full-time job rather than part-time we don't know maybe i think there's scant evidence to suggest that but sure i mean the, the lack of experience probably would have caught up but um yeah you got to lead you got to put your whole program in you got to get buy-in um, I don't know if anybody would have predicted Nick Sirianni's in the Super Bowl in his second year. Like sure. We didn't. We had no information about him, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But there, I'll, let me just say this: I've Jeffrey Lurie, Eagles owner, has hired some really good coaches through the years, including both coaches that were just going head to head in the Super Bowl the other day. Right, thirty-eight percent of the final eight coaches were hired by Jeffrey Lurie. I think there's something too people who have a history of a good hiring process and maybe taking those people, right? Taking the people that have been hired by by smart people type of thing. Like I heard this, uh, I have a friend of a friend wants to franchise Chipotle. <laughs> He's like, I want to start a Chipotle, he called up Chipotle, what, what does it take? Uh-huh. And they said, well, we're not gonna build one in your area right now, this is about 10 years ago. But they said, if you're want, if you really interested, find a Starbucks. They said, that's that's their rule. And if you look, if you look at where Chipotle's are. They're near Starbucks. Because they said, we know Starbucks has done the research. We know that they're only going to go to a place where their kind of customer is, and that's our kind of customer. So most Chipotle's, you'll see, you'll notice this now, now that it's top of mind, Chipotle's are near Starbucks. Because Starbucks did the market research, and Chipotle just piggybacks on that. There's probably something to... There's like a Starbucks every six feet in this country. Like, everywhere is near a Starbucks. Yeah, everybody else is doing it too. Find the best place.
1: But I don't think that's like a... like.
0: You if won't it, see a Chipotle not near a Starbucks. That's th- the point.
1: Yeah, but my, uh, my point would be if I threw a dart at a relatively populated area in this country, I'm within five feet of a Starbucks. Like, that's, it's not they're true. everywhere. It's not true. <laughs> it's true. In the
0: Northeast, it's true. Dunks. It was a good commercial, by the way, the other night. I, I, I didn't see them. Oh, you, didn't, you missed it. Ben Affleck talks like me. Oh, yeah? It's good commercial. Hmm. Yeah, he's good. All right. PFF NFL Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. We're back here, Western and Southern Studio. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps you advance, advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. By the way, we're going a little bit early today. We're going... New no. oh, this guy. This guy's trying to tell me that Chipotle is no nowhere near a Starbucks, John. Well, maybe Chipotle's changed their business model in the last ten years. Maybe Starbucks left. Starbucks <laughs> probably left. Do maybe, some research, maybe, John. Maybe
1: it was a crappy there location. There was bounced. a
0: Starbucks there before, right?
1: All right, what's next? Uh, cut candidates. Cut candidates. Yeah, we're getting so towards free agency. That's the first thing up in this world of off season. Um, it's sort of retaining your own players. And then cutting people, like Derek Carr. Yeah. So
0: Derek Carr's already been cut. I, the, the thing that Steve, the— um, He was a good cut candidate. He was good. Nailed it. The thing that Steve says over and over and over again
1: this offseason is going to be— Are you referring to yourself in the third person on this podcast? It's
0: not referring to myself in the third person. It's more like speaking to the listeners in a certain way the where they're going to say— Steve says this thing over and over and over again, It'd be like the PFF drinking game or something like that this off season should be. It's not third person so much as I'm coming from the angle of the listener saying, Steve says this over and over again.
1: Okay? Well the I'll thing you're go. gonna
0: hear me say over and over again this off season, free agent class, teams are gonna get creative. So I think I think the biggest news. There'll be some free agent news, but the biggest news might be who gets
1: cut and where they go Mm because good players always get cut. Well, Also, by the way, that changes the narrative of, well, this free agent class generally sucks, right? Yeah. It gets a lot better if a ton of guys, yeah, a ton of good players get cut.
0: And and, and when players get cut, signing them, you don't affect your um, comp pick and all that fun stuff. So cuts might be a bigger story. And then trades, right? Trade candidates. So our guy, Brad Spielberger, he's got one cut candidate for all 32 teams mm-hmm. over at PFF.com and on the PFF app, which I suggest, nice, easy reading on there. It tells you how long it takes to read it, too. Handy. If Handy. you're an average reader. Um, so who do you have for potential cut candidates? Are here?
1: you an average reader or are you a superb reader or a crappy reader? I'm a
0: very good reader. I was number one reading group back in first grade. I think I've continued that pace throughout my life. <laughs> I will um, speed read. I like to skip words um so i think i'm on the high end of reading
1: oh nice the year i did over here in school when i was a kid was second grade right but because you guys don't put people into school until they're like five or something i'd been in school for like a couple of years already so i was seen as like a genius at that point when did you go to school two three Jeez. um and i was at the young because july birthday late july so i'm usually like the youngest of the class basically um so when I was seven, they told me I had the reading age of a 14-year-old. Pretty just impressive. because I'd been in school for two more years and Now, did else. you
0: plateau or did that continue to improve? I mean, I can still read pretty well. Because probably, you probably have the reading
1: level of a 150-year-old now. Yeah, I don't, think it, I don't think it continues to go up just oh. like a, throughout your lifetime. But when I was seven, it was top-notch.
0: Oh, second grade was a great time. My buddy Adam and I... This is this is Wednesday podcast stuff. Mm. We would finish it. As soon as you finished your work, you'd go sit on the carpet or whatever and do whatever. Right. We would bring in our binders of baseball cards. Oh, God. To school. And we would race through our work, be the first ones done, and we could go sit on the carpet and trade baseball cards. Huh. And he ripped me off. <laughs> ripped me off back in second grade because I didn't care for Bo Jackson. Yeah. And that was when the famous Bo Jackson card with the
1: bat. That sounds with a lot. Like...
0: He's got the shoulder pads with the bat. Yeah. Right? And it was worth ten bucks, and I was like, "I don't care, I don't want this card." Yeah, and I tra- I don't even know what I got for it. What do you mean? He ripped? That just sounds like you being an idiot. Yeah, I didn't know. It was I worth don't 10 like bucks. Bo
1: Jackson, therefore I'm trading away this priceless card. So I card.
0: traded away the Bo Jackson card. I might have, maybe I got like a Mark McGuire or something. I don't know. I got something good in yeah. return, but not ten dollars worth of cards. That's
1: not him ripping you off. That's you being an idiot.
0: I got ripped off. I didn't have my Beckett update. I didn't have the Beckett subscription back in 1990.
1: No, you didn't get ripped off. You failed to come to adequately prepared for the negotiation Tyler can you find the Bo Jackson card now I'll find it everybody knows this one the Bo
0: Jackson uh shoulder yeah, pad card. the shoulder pad
1: yeah, yeah everyone
0: knows. I had this and I traded it again this it's is... still worth it's nine bucks on eBay 32 <laughs> on Etsy
1: yeah 20 what? bucks on Amazon yeah
0: and I'm just giving that away back in nineteen, ten 10 bucks in 1990 man
1: again this is all your fault not not theirs it's you yeah maybe. like if you if you put if you like list car for sale and then some guy rolls up and gives you the asking price if it was worth four times that that's not them ripping you off that's you being stupid
0: yeah i didn't do my research yeah i didn't do my research i didn't have the beckett subscription that adam had he knew right he knew what he was getting
1: Uh uh-huh and i didn't anyway cut candidates
0: who you got for cut candidates
1: uh joe mixon Joe Mixon is the first name that I think is an intriguing potential cut candidate because Joe Mixon is on a ton of money and they save $7 million against the cap by cutting him. I think there's a chance that happens. Because remember, we're talking the Bengals, they're not in cap hell or anything like that, but they have a very clear line of sight about where a ton of their money is about to go. Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase. If you're putting money there, and they should, you've got to get rid of it somewhere. And Joe Mixon's a fairly obvious place to get rid of it.
0: Joe Mixon makes a ton of sense as a as a cut candidate. It, in, if he ends up as a free agent here, what a fascinating offseason, right? The strongest position, you know, position for position here, the strongest position in free agency might be running back. The strongest position in the draft might be running back. And then you're talking about maybe adding Joe Mixon to the mix and all that stuff, Right. So just pure, you know, play, stacking players at the position. There are There's a plethora of running backs available this offseason, right? The Giants have to make a decision on Saquon Barkley. And they, they want him back. And then to throw Mixon in, in there, and he's it's, a good runner.
1: And it's a great draft for running backs.
0: That's what yeah, I said
1: that. Yeah. yeah. So but you've got a pretty good help. Might,
0: might be the strongest position in free agency and in the draft right. this offseason in a year that, I mean, as as we...
1: De-emphasize the and, and P. Ryan has if, it has, if anything, outperformed Mixon at times this year. Like, he when they put him in and leaned on him, he was actually making more plays. I, I wouldn't lean too heavily on that as a data point, but from an internal point of view, and you're looking at this, like, it, it's, again, it's just another way of highlighting how much it isn't the running back that's driving that kind of thing, right? That, hey, look, if nothing else, there wasn't an obvious upgrade when Mixon was there versus P. Ryan. Yeah, I mean, when when the when the Bengals went from
0: so halfway through the Super Bowl season, the Bengals turned into Joe Burrow's team, right? They they had games early in that year where Joe Burrow was throwing the ball only 20, 22, 25 times. They completely changed. It became a fat pass first team. And Mixon had some big games. Like he ran all over the Panthers and all that stuff. But the the running back in the Bengals offense, the same way the running back in the Chiefs offense is gonna be the guy that's they're gonna get touchdowns because they're gonna have opportunities. But I think the Bengals are going to continue to want to have dynamic pass catchers coming out of the backfield and have more, you know, committee type approaches. Keep that position cheap because, yeah, they do need to pay Burrow and they need to pay at least one of those two receivers in the coming year. So Joe Mixon makes sense. And then it's like, all right, do any of these guys make sense? Like which are there any teams that are going to be falling all all over themselves to get? The free uh, a free agent running back uh, yeah josh jacobs it. saquon barkley joe mixon potentially i don't know
1: um a couple more candidates that that kind of caught my eye shaq griffin in jacksonville that's a 13 plus million dollar saving against the cap if they cut him frank clark super bowl play- slash playoff hero and yet otherwise inadequate pass rusher for the kansas city chiefs 21 million in savings if they get rid of frank Um, And then here's the... Frank Clark felt inevitable whenever the savings matched up properly. Yes. Which is where we're at right now. Here's the really interesting one, though. Eric Kendricks. uh, Coming off a really bad year for Minnesota in that defense. Over $9 million in saving if they get rid of Eric Kendricks. Eric Kendricks is a year essentially removed from being a really top-end linebacker. Has a a track record of being an excellent coverage linebacker. Um, Number one obviously Minnesota is now changing scheme and changing scheme dramatically. Like they're shifting from Ed Donatell's off-coverage zone system to presumably Brian Flores' full New England-style man coverage aggression type of stuff. Um, And Eric Kendricks is A, coming off a crappy year. B, is now the wrong side of 30. And obviously C, is over $9 million worth of uh, saving for him. I, that's actually, that's one I hadn't even considered until I saw it on the list, but that makes a lot of sense and would be a pretty big uh, kind of shockwave, I think, if Eric Hendricks got cut.
0: You see the 65 pass rush grade there, and, you know, Kendricks is always, you know, the majority of his career, right? I mean, linebacker grades and production tend to fluctuate just a little bit, but he's been one of the better coverage linebackers. I mean, excellent coverage grades from 2016 to 21, but almost always in a, in a zone-heavy scheme. And what we've seen from a grading standpoint, the zone-heavy schemes are actually more challenging for linebackers, right? We talk about how much they're put into a bind and all that stuff. So Kendricks has been very good in a difficult role, Mm -hmm. but he's never really been a great blitzer, necessarily. That is exactly what Flores' scheme... Again, if he keeps the same Patriots tree type of deal, more man coverage, that means your linebackers have to play some man coverage, but then the other linebacker is also blitzing a lot right so it's blitz and man a little bit more than just you know dropping back into zone so you might be looking for a completely different prototype there in minnesota so that does make a little bit of sense there do you have any i did not add any to your uh to your list
1: there where's brad's article here i had it i had
0: it pulled up don't put me on the spot like that
1: i you suggested like you were about to get some ready and then apparently didn't no i did for uh draft mistakes oh i see okay sorry i i I think Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Derek Carr is a good cut candidate. Could be a cut candidate. Yes. Um, I wanted
0: to add a trade candidate in here. Okay. So we, we've heard DeAndre Hopkins, right? Uh-huh. And if I'm going to keep saying, well, if, if you're going to copy the rest of the league and try to go get your wide receiver one via trade, just get your wide receiver one, however you do it, it's going to mm-hmm. have to be via trade. DeAndre Hopkins is out there. I've been using Mike Evans as a potential trade candidate. Yep, in various radio interviews and stuff like that. Could Mike Evans, if the Bucks decide to rebuild, could Mike Evans be available via trade? Would make they would have to take a huge cap hit this year, twenty one million, but they're already taking a huge cap hit on Tom Brady. Uh, much like we we've seen we've seen teams set records for dead money, the Falcons, you know, last year they they were just like just do it all, Julio, Matt Ryan, just do it all in one year, and then we'll come out of it. Next year, if the Bucks decide to do that, maybe Mike Evans is may- maybe the top guy. Maybe higher than New Hopkins
1: out there. Maybe Up yeah. There. Speaking of things, Steve's going to say off season. <laughs> Mike Evans might be available. Right, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, it's one of your things. It is. Keep, the, track, keep track of those things I keep saying. The Falcons ate so much dead money for Matt Ryan that if the Colts cut Matt Ryan, it's going to be like $18 million in dead money. Just, like that's how bad. Just for the Colts. That's how hard that hit was for Atlanta. That a year later, it's still like a $20 million hit. Calvin Ridley's applying for reinstatement.
0: Yeah. Right now.
1: A year later. I mean, that's the, it's the last day he can apply, I think. So, yeah.
0: Uh, another interesting one here, though, is David Bakhtiari is on Brad's list here, left tackle for the Packers. Mm hmm um 23 million in dead money but five almost six million in cap savings he's been battling injuries the last couple of years
1: barely on the field and Zach Tom did really well as a rookie left tackle when he came in to spell him like they've anything, just done a great job developing linemen that's in general. a really that's a difficult one because I think Bakhtiari is still as good as any left tackle in the NFL certainly from a pass blocking point of view whether or not they're going to go with Rodgers or, or Jordan Love it feels like you want to have the best left tackle available that would be a big call to be like we'll get rid of him for a, for a little bit of a saving and you know the guarantee that we're going to have a healthy guy relative guarantee and install Zach Thomas the starting left tackle Like, I mean maybe but I, that feels very very risky one
0: other so I'll add one more to the next time Byron Jones is on brad's list here cornerback from from miami we saw him go to the dolphins just before the 2020 season signed a massive contract didn't play a snap in 2022 um really underwhelmed in two years he was decent coverage grade but again he went to the flores system where he's playing a ton of man coverage it's a little bit more challenging so he's a good solid cornerback who was on a massive contract over 16 million per year and Byron Jones, you'd still have a, a dead cap hit there. But Miami, after big investment in both Byron, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard at cornerback, could they move on from Byron Jones? If he hits the market, perhaps reuniting with Flores in Minnesota could make sense, scheme-wise. I don't know. But didn't play a snap this year. Number 25 in war in 2021. He's a good corner, but probably not worth 60000000 plus. million-plus yep. that he's been making. There we go. Cut candidates. Wrapped. All right. So we want to talk about critical free
1: agents Hmm. as well. The ones to re-sign. to resign. So that's like the first part of this, right, is cut candidates, get rid of who the guys are going to get cut to make way for the spending, to make way for the kind of um, – balance the credit card stuff that the New Orleans Saints always do, right? They've already started their moves. They uh, converted the roster, converted a bonus of, uh, I forget who it was, but some random player for five million. Marcus May. They converted a Marcus May uh, salary to to a bonus to free up five million worth of cash space, right? This is what the next couple of weeks is going to be about, is moving money around, freeing it up, paying off the credit card, cutting guys so that you can actually sign people. And then the first part is, uh, or part of that. Is cutting people. Part of that is also re signing your own guys because number one, you want to make sure they don't hit free agency. Number two, that can actually create salary cap space as well because of the way those contracts get done. You can push out the money to multiple years and end up with a better salary cap situation, ironically, by signing a guy than by um, potentially getting rid of them. So who are the guys that need to be re signed? So we got, um,
0: I see a list here. We'll work off the list. Oboe, Mm -hmm. I love it for Houston. Yeah. My only criticism is that they didn't sign him to a longer deal
1: originally. Yeah. That he's back to free agency. I don't know that that's necessarily a mistake. Like, we really liked that signing at the time. And I think he kind of underwhelmed relative to what we would have expected him to do this season. Um, But he flashed enough that I think you probably want to bring him back and, you know, see if he can be better long term. But because he 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 only flashed and relatively underachieved, I think they can probably do that quite reasonably deal-wise. Like I think he. My point being, I think he's probably cheaper to sign to a multi-year deal this year than he would have been a season ago. So therefore, it's good business. I mean, it was
0: an easy contract this year, one year, three point two five million dollars. I I think if you get him for something close to that, that's a steal every year. Yeah, that's why if if you sign up for that one year. I feel think... like you could have gotten him in a similar range for multiple years. But either way, he's coming off a career year, and D'Amico Ryan's in Houston. Every time a, a new coach goes in to a place where they used to – they so they used when they used to have a great defensive line, you assume they're going to try to build it up. Okoronkwa is not like a number one pass rusher or anything like that, but if he's your second or third pass rusher, third in particular, move guy that you can create mismatches, I love that. So I think
1: keeping him in the building would make a ton of sense. Yeah, I I think so. I think he's a guy that they should be, you know, this season for them, we were talking about, like, who are pieces going forward? And I think he showed enough that you would want to try and keep him around. Who else you got here? Jacoby Myers. Um, Really? Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, number one, he's probably the best uh, wide receiver available in free agency, should he make it that far. But he's also the best receiver the Patriots have had for the last several years. And without him, they get markedly worse. Now, yes, they can draft receivers. Yes, they can try and target, but they can't, they can't target a free agent that's better than him because he's the best free agent receiver available. They can target one via trade, which they've done several times before. Sure, maybe that's the route they go. And if they want to dive into the draft, they have one of the worst records of drafting receivers in NFL history. So Jacoby Myers is probably quite high on your list of options for receiver. My concern is when I go
0: to the PFF free agent list over pff.com not only is i mean it's not a concern that jacoby myers is number seven on the entire list and the top wide receiver that's not the concern that he's good and gets open and um from a pff war standpoint top 30 most valuable receiver over the last few years my concern is the projected contract coming from our guy brad four years 16 million per year if he's up in that range do you want to pay jacoby myers That kind of money? I still think he's a good two, right? Mm -hmm. Michael Gallup-esque, number two. Different style, maybe, a little bit than Gallup. Gets open, all that stuff. He's a good, solid receiver. Do you want to pay good and solid $16 million? The guys that have made that in the last couple years are Michael Gallup, Corey Davis. Is Myers worth that kind of money?
1: Do Do you want to? No. Should you? Maybe. Um, I mean, look, Mike Williams... Signed for twenty million a year last season, right? I think you, we're getting to the stage now where sixteen million a year for your second receiving option is actually not a bad amount of uh, resources to develop to dedicate to that if they show up consistently and they keep making plays. The problem is, it still leaves you as the Patriots needing to find the number one from somewhere, and yeah. that's gonna probably be expensive because again, I just they're not gonna go and do it in the draft, right? Because they stink at that, so they're going to try and trade something maybe for I mean maybe they're in the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes and then you're into serious money. But do you think teams really
0: So we're going to have uh we're going to have Rick Spielman on the show this Friday. We'll
1: fire in some questions for Rick Spielman. Former NFL general manager. Former
0: general manager. He was sa- he sat in the seat for what? 15 Long 16 time. years yeah, with, with the Minnesota Vikings. So we have a lot of, we had him on the show previously when you were out on your road trip. I had mm-hmm. him on the show. People love the discussion. You and I will both be talking to rick on friday we've got some questions but want to hear other people's questions maybe one of them i want to ask ask is when you're sitting in that seat and you're saying we have a need at this position do you sit there and evaluate yourself and say we're bad at drafting this yeah like do you think the patriots actually sit there in the meetings and like we're not drafting a receiver we're not good at this
1: i think the longer (laughs) the longer the evidence mounts the more that has to become a thing like if you swing once or twice and miss you probably don't go, well, we just think of this. Let's not ever do that again. You have to keep going. But if you've, like, failed for so many years and then you finally tempt yourself back into the first round because, you know, you saw something in Nikhil Harry and then Nikhil Harry becomes one of the worst draft picks in the last 10 years, like, come on. At some point, we have to face reality here, right, and say, let's just not do that again.
0: What was the Vikings' blind spot from a drafting standpoint during his time? Was there one? Because I mean, you could say, hey, they, didn't, they had a bad offensive line for a few years. But edge they rusher, I guess. If you,
1: Edge rusher, if you sort of... No, because they got maybe maybe early round ones. No, so they hit on Nell Hunter, but then seemed to sort of say, well, we can just do that every time. And then kept drafting fourth round edge rushers that, that were terrible. And Everson. Did they draft Griffin, right? Everson uh, Griffin. Was that pre or post? Might have been. I don't know if that was before uh, Spielman. They missed on a...
0: Jared Allen compliments and everything, right? Through the years.
1: Oh, they've I mean, institutionally the Vikings generally have had real problems finding edge rushers for a long dating back way before Spielman. Um that's why they draft or they traded for Jared Allen because they Erasmus James, Kenneth Diazy, like they drafted these guys in the first round and all of them were bad. So they finally went, you know what the hell with this, we're trading two first round picks for a dude we know is a superstar. All right, so That'll be interesting to
0: ask ask Rick. So the Patriots potentially re-signing Jacoby Myers, I could see it. I understand. I know the cap's going up, and that's the other theme we're going to have this offseason. Cap's yeah, yeah. going up, and free agents aren't great, so we're going to see some big
1: Griffin as well. Contracts. Was Spielman, so they did. They found two of those guys in the mid rounds, and then kept trying. Either forever.
0: way, I'll, I'll, let's ask that for. Uh, let's add that to our list on Friday. Do you ever look at your yep. self evaluation at a position and say, "Hey, we, we're not good at this," and let that affect things? What other um, free agents do you have on your list here? I got one that that Brad cited I thought was interesting.
1: Um, Jermaine Illuminor, offensive tackle for the Las Vegas Raiders. So when you looked at that line on paper before the season, you're like, this is a train wreck. This is going to go bad. And it did at the start. It was terrible. <laughs> and then, then the line kind of came together, and they actually were playing pretty well by the end of the season. And Illuminor is a guy who actually has quite a good – overall body of work in the nfl um obviously he was with the patriots beforehand and now once he got a a starting gig for the raiders i think he's actually a solid starting tackle
0: yeah i think that's fair i mean at worst he's going to be a swing tackle right and then you figure out what you what you want to pay that he's been a swing tackle the majority of his career but yeah very good season for him um i find it interesting that brad you know the, the premise of the article is free agent a team can't afford to lose doesn't mean you're going all out to get this guy but it's like if you don't it's just another hole that you have to fill Mm -hmm. but the saints and marcus davenport he has on the list here we've talked about davenport a little bit he's one of the top free agents he has unbelievable snap to snap production but hasn't played a ton we talked about his snap totals on the show here uh, a couple weeks ago do you take another shot on davenport right it's like when you get the developmental player and he really hasn't developed by year four or five to still try to invest in him because Davenport is like this close to being a top eight to 10 edge defender if he yeah. stays healthy.
1: just jumping back to Illuminor for a second. Um, they, I think the Raiders had their bye week quite early. I think it might have been week six. Either uh, there was a missed game in there somewhere. Um, since that week six point, Illuminor was a top 10 graded tackle. He had an overall PFF grade of 82.3, 79.4 as a run blocker 81.4 as a pass blocker gave up one sack from that point on half the total penalties he had this season were before that point we were in the first five weeks of the season um he played really well once you got over that like early part of the season where almost the entirety of the Raiders line stank um he's and, the only one that had some scheme uh, history there too yeah he played for Josh
0: McDaniels in right. New England and everything
1: but and this was also, by the way, like by far the most starting experience he'd had in the NFL. Like he had five, four hundred snaps with the Patriots that one year. He had a couple of hundred this last season with the Raiders, and then nine hundred and forty. This is like almost fifty percent of his entire career snaps at this point. But I think he kind of showed that, like that guy can start and be good for you. Yeah, now, I like it, Davenport. Uh, and I just said Marcus Davenport. Yes, Saints. The problem with Davenport is if you're going to keep him you need to dramatically change expectations and requirements like gone are the day like if you're staying if we're giving you the kind of contract that you're going to need to stay in this building we're going to need you to play twice the amount that you normally play you're going to need to double your workload and we expect the production to be double as well like corresponding you need to become i mean maybe becoming miles garrett is a bit of an ask but like you know you need to become the true alpha that you're supposedly capable of being with this supreme athlete this giant physical specimen a guy that's got all the tools to be great and just hasn't been yet
0: um there's some injury issues in there and there's some just he doesn't play more than 50 snaps in many games yeah i see only four games in the last two years um maybe five games where he's played at least 50 right and that's what you expect from your your high-end edge defenders, right? So it's interesting because his PFF grades are really good. And again, on a per-snap basis, elite, like elite on a per-snap basis. But the grade does a, the, the grade does a really good job of giving you credit for volume. And PFF War does a really good job of crediting volume. War has Davenport 26th, 20, 16th, and 26th among edge defenders over the last three years in the four years of the 23rd. So we're talking about a top 25 edge defender, but on a per-snap basis, top 10-ish. So, yeah, it's a question of can you keep him on the field or just put him on the field more, ramp him up, keep that same production, because then he, maybe he's worth it. And that's really a question for any team, not just the Saints. That's any team looking at Davenport and free agency.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I just think that they, if they're going to bring him in, they really need to figure out a way where he's just a much more – Consistent and ever-present uh, player for them. Like they, they need way more than you know. You play a couple of games here or there, or you play and you play a minimal amount of snaps. You need to be playing the amount that these guys are playing when they're getting paid that kind of money. Like that's the bottom line. Because the thing about him is he's still really young. He has been productive. He has been good. So all the pieces are there for him to be like a legitimate high-end uh contract which i think he'll end up getting so now you need to justify that with that kind of play like this season max crosby averaged over 60 snaps a game that's insane uh brian burns aiden hutchinson alex highsmith leonard floyd Micah parsons lorenzo carter sam hubbard janelle hunter uchenna nwosu these are all guys that played more than 50 snaps a game um and you're you know you're saying there's a minimum number of games where Davenport has ever played over 50 snaps right. a game like that. That's the, the difference in level we're talking about. Um, so part of it's the saints like to rotate as well. They like to
0: keep guys fresh, but again, if you're going to pay a guy a lot, you want to get more Cameron Jordan plays a lot. You know, he plays plenty of snaps for that. Right. One other name though, in a similar vein, Zach Allen of the Cardinals similar, but also similar to Davenport as in there's, there's something to build upon, but maybe it was just too late. When it comes to Zach Allen. Three years below average this year, breakout season. Um, can play on the interior, line up inside, line up on the edge, good run defender, solid pass rusher. But Arizona is so desperate. He's on Brad's list of hey, they need to keep him yeah. around just because you can't have you can't add another hole to that defensive and line. And
1: as much as look, you're right, the the Saints like to rotate guys, but so do the Eagles and Hassan Reddick average 48 snaps a game like that doesn't explain the whole thing you're gonna need to see more from Davenport if you're keeping him around to be honest if I was the Saints even knowing the state that that will leave me in in terms of if he leaves and Cameron Jordan continues his decline and on Yamada like now we have nothing on the defensive line. Oh, they've got the worst defensive line in football. Yeah. That's the case. I still think you're probably better letting him walk unless you're 100% convinced that you can yeah. double the guy's workload and he's still going to be the same. Any thoughts on Zach Allen in Arizona?
0: Three years below average and a breakout 2022. We have evidence. I When we're doing these rankings and all that stuff, I like to look at the multi-year sample. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you know I'm, I'm a big don't overreact type of guy. You know that, right? Everybody knows that on the show. But there's a lot of data that shows even in contract years, the last thing you saw does matter. It, it should be weighed more, right? The last thing we've seen from Zach Allen was a breakout year four. So, do you invest in that going forward for the Arizona, where they don't have any depth, much like the Saints?
1: Yeah, it is a similar story where you're like, what does that leave us with if we let him walk, as well as JJ Watt retiring and Marcus Golden being like our alpha? Like that's not good. Um, I it, it kind of come this one comes down to contract, I think. Marcus Davenport. I'm assuming is going to get a big payday because there's too many elements that make sense. Young, stupidly athletic, has been productive in a limited sample. I think there are going to be teams out there that go, yeah, this guy's prying for a monster second contract. I don't know that you're going to have the same kind of clamor for Zach Allen, at which point the deal to retain him might be an awful lot more achievable. Brad has Zach Allen in the three year, 12
0: and dollar per year range. Um, Interestingly enough, right near him in our interior defensive line rankings is David Onyemata, who Brad has for two years $7.5 million with um, better three-year production than a Zach Allen. Not not as good last year, but better three-year production. Really interesting defensive line market because there are some big names and some big money to be thrown at players who probably will not return that on-field production.
1: Allen is also, so every year of his career, has improved as a pass rusher albeit by relatively small steps. Started off with a PFF grade of 50. That went to 58, 62, 72 this year. Um, Of course, the flip side of that is he did get embarrassed by Kirk Cousins in the open field. That's not a good data point. That's a bad data point. We got to drop him a few
0: spots. Mm -hmm. Kirk uh, gave him a little juke or just ran away from him.
1: Yeah, just outran him. That was even worse. Like, ju- being juked by a quarterback. It's is, a short
0: area quickness game.
1: Being juked by a quarterback is a terrible thing, but can sometimes happen. I, uh, by that, I don't mean, like, athletic quarterbacks that can do that to you. I mean, being juked by, like, a random statue of a quarterback will occasionally happen to you. Didn't Tom Brady juke Brian Urlacher out of his shoes Hall of Famer Brian Urlacher. Right. Completely like, juked him. It's bad, but it can happen, right? Every now and again, you're going to find yourself slightly off balance and he hits you with the right move and you look stupid being outrun by Kirk Cousins should simply never happen to you, ever. There's just no scenario where you can say that's excusable, and yet that happened to Zach Allen. Yeah. That's bad. Do you have any other uh, critical free agents? Uh, no. I think those are the big ones to re-sign. There, there's actually, you look through them, I don't know that there are a ton of, like, absolutely must-sign guys. I would, if I'm Dallas, I'd probably try and keep Tony Pollard around, but, like, must-sign, No. In a different year, in a different market,
0: I think even the Saquon Barkley discussion for the Giants, we talked to people at the combine and think they let them walk. Yeah. But I think in a different year, maybe they reconsider. Right. You know, I don't know if these decisions are hard, like we'll never sign a running back. I really think it is if we draft a running back in the third round this year in this draft class or get an Austin Eckler contract that you always reference for running backs, if we get that. Is it going to be that big of a difference than Saquon Barkley? Yeah,
1: Probably I mean, th- there's a few other guys I think would make sense to retain. Um, Arden Key for Jacksonville I think makes a lot of sense. Ironically, with all the first-round picks they spent on edge rushers, he might be their best one still. So I would try and keep around Arden Key. I think he's developed actually into quite a productive situational pass rusher that you would want to keep there. Orlando Brown's deal is coming up with Kansas City because they didn't, they haven't extended him long-term yet. I, you know, I, maybe. Maybe like you Mr. Anti invest in the offensive line over there. It's worked out pretty well for them. It's going to be a ton of money in that line if they throw it at him as well, but that was part of my analysis. Maybe that's better right. than the risk. I know they got a Super Bowl on the
0: way there, but part of my analysis was you're going to you got 2 years of Orlando Brown service and then but the but had to pay him a ton yeah. this year on the franchise tag and then potentially a long-term deal.
1: Can't believe you didn't bring up new friend of the show Julian Love. Julian Love, yeah, he made
0: Brad's, I, and I love it. The more we talk, when we talked to Julian last week, I do suggest go get that interview. It's the you to the the title Giants DBs interviews and other celebrities. That's the that show. Um, we talked to Julian Love, and the more I talked to him, and how much he loved playing for Wink Martindale, and how much um, he had his career year basically too this year mm-hmm. with the Giants. I think he is a good fit and a a good piece for the Giants to retain. Yep. All right, you wanted to do a segment on the biggest draft mistakes. Do we have a time frame here? This is just last couple of years, last, last few years. five
1: years was an article that Mike Renner had up on the website. Um, so I think you know we've talked a little bit about the start of free agency, but it's draft season now officially. Every every team is looking for the draft. So for the draft, you got to start with what are the biggest screw ups recently? Is Trubisky over Mahomes out of
0: the uh, out of reach here? That's six That's years six ago. Six years. Yeah, So that's I mean, one. But it's
1: not in the article. so Not in the article. All right, what else do you, what do you have?
0: Speci- what do you have from the article?
1: Sue so, from the article, um, Hayden Hurst over Lamar Jackson for Baltimore. This is a controversial one because ultimately the Ravens got Lamar Jackson anyway. But they drafted Hayden Hurst over Lamar Jackson. This sort of – this gets whitewashed a little bit as history progresses. And you're like, well, everybody screwed this up except Baltimore who drafted Lamar. Yeah. Like, yeah – on the other hand, they also passed on him For a tight end that isn't good That's pretty bad Yeah Unless No, stop it You're not going to tell me that they were playing the game And you didn't get it, stop it They knew the board No, no, no They knew the board I like, I like to call this less a draft
0: mistake And more the reminder Right, the reminder That, that everybody does, everybody that
1: knows nothing
0: yeah that everybody picks the wrong player at some point <laughs> i mean that's that's why the analytics nerds focus so much on the process right uh-huh. that's where it, why that's why it, like they hate the they hate talking to the the film guys cuz the film guys like oh look at this you know look at this guy wrong arm and power and doing this and that they don't, the film guys don't say that but mm. look at this thing that the guy does and it's like you don't know anything twitter film guy you don't know anything you're not going to pick players better than the next Twitter film guy and certainly not better than the NFL teams that can't pick guys. So what you got to just maximize picks and value and pick high-value positions. So if you do hit, you get the right positions. That's where I kind of agree with the with the nerds. Trust, you know, process picks. Yeah, this is a good one. Like, if you're just talking, you picked the wrong player. Yeah. You would say that's a mistake. Hayden Hurst over Lamar Jackson. I mean, I think... There's if- an outside chance, though. Outside chance. That the information that they're privy to that were not that they knew Lamar Jackson would be available later. Of course they had to trade up to get him and it's more draft capital so in the end it's a it's a loss.
1: That's the thing. You had to trade up to make it happen, so you weren't that willing to let it let's let it play out. We can get Lamar yeah. later. You know what I mean? And and if if a quarterback is involved in this whole dynamic, I think you almost need to like eliminate all risk, which is why as much as I'm endlessly curious how long Kenny Pickett would have lasted if Pittsburgh didn't take him at 20, and for all I know, that would have been the third round, I still don't have any criticism whatsoever of taking him there. Pittsburgh needs a quarterback. The quarterback is there. We're not screwing around. We're drafting this guy at 20 because if somebody takes him, now we're down to these guys that we think stink and have no shot of working out. So we take him at 20.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. I also think Hayden Hurst at the time, um, by the way, remember, we thought that was the year that we thought Mar- Maurice Hurst was – one of the best players in the draft, but mm. he had the heart issue. Yes, and Maurice Hurst. We heard Hurst was going. Were, were you with me, or was I with Brenner that year? I don't remember. Live on SI, they told us Hurst finally goes, and we're like, yeah, yeah, Hurst off the board. Yeah, and it was Hayden, right, who most people expected to go late day two. Also, so that's by the, the way, other part. Com- of
1: this. Well, yeah. Compounding the mistake was drafting. I mean not compounding it but like highlighting the mistake was drafting Mark Andrews a couple of rounds later who ends up being twice yeah. as good as m- many times as good as. Never draft a
0: 25-year-old pitching former pitcher in the in the first round. I would never. Hayden Hurst.
1: Uh okay. The most obvious one probably over this period Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a whoops. Just a whoopsie. You got the wrong guy. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is and we're
0: not also we're not being critical of we're just This is all hindsight analysis.
1: Yes. Now,
0: there were definitely Eagles fans and other people at the time who said that was a massive mistake at the time. This is complete hindsight analysis. We're not saying we would have had this better at the time. This is just hindsight. There were
1: also many people that had Rager over Justin Jefferson in that draft class. Like, that was one that at the time was not crazy but has been since proven to be ludicrous because Rager is very bad and Justin Jefferson is arguably the best receiver in the NFL right
0: now. One of the interesting things to me is we love to do – a b analysis right like we saw this player in this situation then we saw him in that situation therefore let's draw some conclusions fascinating to me that we will criticize quarterbacks for being in a great situation when probably nobody had a better situation than joe burrow his last year right he got to throw to the two very best receivers in the nfl right now top two right two or three four right jamar chase and justin jefferson and it did not and, – and Joe Burrow was also awesome. And, also, by the way, other guys right? that got drafted. Like, Joe Burrow didn't died. make Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase. They didn't make Burrow. They were all great, mm-hmm. right? There are certainly other situations, like Matt Leinart threw to all these first-rounders, and maybe that was telling for his production. But we didn't get to do that with um, with Joe Burrow. There's other, We talk about Tua and the Bama guys, right? All, the four first-rounders that he threw to. It didn't matter in this particular situation. It's I just mean, interesting when the A-B analysis – shows us nothing, it's just they were all great.
1: Well, that one in hindsight is a really interesting one to kind of pour over because on the one hand, you have Justin Jefferson who's being thrown footballs by you know Joe Burrow and these superstars, at quarterback. You have uh, the fact that he's sort of been marginalized. Not, you, he's been sort of relegated to, an, to a slot role because Jamar Chase is so good on the outside. You've got question marks about whether he does well, or does as well as the the alpha guy on the outside, et cetera, et cetera. And then the flip side, you've got Jalen Rager, whose quarterback was a joke, like awful. So right. half of the targets sent Jalen Rager's way. You're like, this is pointless. I can't get anything out of this because the ball is nowhere near him. Um, you've got him re- excelling on the outside, but in you know the Big Twelve where defense is optional and all this kind of stuff. So it's just this it shows how difficult it is sometimes to because eva- you're not even close to evaluating like for like it's like on the one hand you got a guy with a great quarterback situation and a great offense but working against really good defenses and um with the confounding factors of like jamar chase in the outside and then the other guy you got terrible quarterback situation against bad defenses but shows spectacular athleticism and Blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's a nightmare trying to do this stuff sometimes. Yeah,
0: Justin Jefferson was fantastic on film, but you also said like, man, playing in the slot. Yeah. Running, you know, wide open a lot. Right. It was like, okay, how much of his production is is scheme-based? And those were the questions at the time.
1: All right. A couple more just complete misses.
0: I found a really good one that Renner had in the article too. I want to add when you're
1: done. Billy Price for the Bengals. Yeah. Oops. Um, Isaiah Wilson for the Titans might be the biggest oops of, in terms of just like... We drafted just a bat, just the wrong guy.
0: Price went right behind Ragnow, right? Uh, Twenty eighteen, right? yeah. So that was. Let me just add to that, right? There were the Bengals and Steelers. I feel like made back to back made the same mistake in back to back drafts, where the Steelers really wanted William Jackson the third. Yes, one pick after yeah. Ragnow. So there you go. So w- the year before, William Jackson gets picked. He was the the first round player. Steelers wanted him. He goes to the Bengals. Steelers felt, felt like a panic move to go with the next corner on the board, which is already Burns. Didn't work out. Same thing. Lions get the top center in the draft. Frank Ragnow. B- Bengals needed a center. Next pick, they go Billy Price. Both of them felt like reaches. And they, picked, they, they were need picks, right? It was like, I need this position. Let me get this guy who probably shouldn't have gone, gone at that spot. So, yeah, Billy Price did not work out for the Bengals other than getting B.J. Hill. Yes. Who had a couple plays that led them to an AFC
1: championship. So. And then one I think that has to be on this list now is San Francisco trading three first round picks to get up to number three for Trey Lance. Now. Could have just waited. For yeah. Brock Purdy. So here's the thing. I don't think this is even an indictment necessarily on Trey Lance. Trey Lance may end up becoming a good player. We were tremendously excited and still are to an extent about the prospect of what Trey Lance can be within a Kyle Shanahan offense. But. I think the subsequent time has shown he doesn't need that. Like, he just didn't need to trade three first-round picks to install whatever quarterback he wanted to install in that offense. Obviously, Brock Purdy has shown, you know, what can be. I'm not saying you just draft any old stooge in the seventh round, throw him into the Kyle Shanahan system, and you get, you know, magic happening. But I think it's clear you don't need to trade – Three first round picks to go and get any one unicorn to get absurd production in this offense. Like, if they had stayed where they were in that draft and just taken a quarterback or, you know, signed somebody random, like, evidently you can create something pretty magical without investing three first round picks in it.
0: If they stayed, they would have had Mac Jones or Justin Fields available. Where did they come from? 12, 12? I believe. Mac Jones certainly would have been there. Fields went at 11 yeah. or 10, right? 11. So, I mean, I said it throughout the playoffs could I think Mac Jones absolutely could have done what Brock Purdy did. Yes. And been the first contract quarterback that they wanted. I
1: mean, Mac Jones theoretically within this offense, I think, could be pretty amazing. Like cooks. the things he that cooks. he the things that he excels at are the things that Kyle Shanahan really wants for that offense. I always knowing where to go with the ball, really quick decision making, accuracy. Now, he probably doesn't have the stuff that Brock Purdy is adding on top of that, the kind of escapability and Second chance plays that are actually adding quite a lot of like EPA type stuff to that offense But he might not need it like he might just be efficient enough that the offense hums anyway
0: So that's why we theorized that they weren't trading up for Mac Jones, right? The only benefit if they were trading up for Mac Jones was to get a Jimmy Garoppolo type on a first contract and presumably more durable Yeah, right Um, But it did make sense to us if it was a Trey Lance even though I didn't think Trey Lance was the third best quarterback in the draft It did make sense if they were going to get a Trey Lance or Justin Fields, if they're going to add a running component to that offense and try to hit home runs, right? Right. Try to try to really maximize that offense. That made sense at the time. Yeah, there's two that Renner highlighted in here in this article. This was well researched by Mike. You know, don't be so surprised. I'm just saying. Just a reminder. Sometimes he does
1: good work. He does. He He puts in the hours. don't, so don't you know? Don't un, don't
0: undermine him with your tone. <laughs> two that were well, well, well researched in his biggest draft mistake of the past five years article, he went with the Lions, right? So this is where he didn't mail it in. He said, "Let's go back and look at the Lions' top fifty picks from two thousand eighteen to 20. And so the mistake was disregard for positional value in the Bob Quinn era for the Detroit Lions. Remember they had that first draft where it was like, "We are going to establish the run." Yeah, they drafted a running back and a fullback and a center and. The, so their top 50 picks, two, they had six picks in the top 50. Center Frank Ragnow, he's awesome. It's a center, but he's great. Uh-huh. After that, on Johnson, second round, running back. Tight end TJ Hawkinson at pick eight. Linebacker Jelani Tavai at pick 43, second round. Cornerback Jeffrey Okuda, that's positional value fine, just a miss. And then running back DeAndre Swift at pick 35. Uh-huh. So they spent two second rounders on running backs, a second rounder on a linebacker, um, none of them, well, I mean, Swift is a pretty good player, whatever. Hawkinson, a tight end. Renner's a big anti-tight end in the first first round type of guy. Anyway, tight end at number eight overall. A bunch of those players are playing elsewhere right now.
1: Yeah, so that, I mean, that's, it's bad multiple ways. It's bad because they missed on a lot of those players, but it's even worse because they spent really high picks on position value positions that aren't high value. Like they just targeted players that don't necessarily move the needle, even if they work out. And then the other thing he highlighted was uh, the big mistake the Texans made was simply turning
0: the keys over to Bill O'Brien.
1: Yeah. I mean, so he had – it was an interesting article because a lot of them were just, you know, you picked the wrong player or you drafted X over Y or you did whatever. But a lot of them were more, you know, uh, nebulous concept-wise, like just turning the keys over to Bill O'Brien. So I think another one – I don't know if this is in his article actually or if it's just what I'm thinking now, but obviously basically everything the Raiders did was a mistake in the last five years. They, like, hiring Mike Mayock out of the NFL Network Studios to be your GM was probably an error. Uh, the, whatever the dynamic was between Mayock and John Gruden was a mistake. The, the totality of what that produced in terms of first-round draft picks was one of the biggest train wrecks that NFL history has ever seen in the draft. And, you know, somewhere in, in amongst all that, they got Max Crosby. That's basically the story of the Raiders. Crosby the was great. Years. Yeah, they had
0: five first-rounders in 2019 and 20. The only one who started for them last season was running back Josh Jacobs. Yeah. And Jacobs is
1: a fantastic player, but again... Again, like, even the absolute was. best thing you can say about that is the best player they got out of those higher end is, you know, arguably the lowest value position.
0: Yeah, I know, Ryan. My, Mike Renner is a national treasure. But uh, we can razz Mike. A national treasure might be taking it. A it's a little far. too much. In some circles, though. Maybe some... Bachelor, Bachelorette blogs and stuff like that. Maybe he is. How many Not
1: treasures sure. do you have to be before, or do you have to have before Renner makes that list? He was like 13th in his own season. There's been That's a lot true. of seasons.
0: Ran into uh, our friend Clay Harbor, my friend. Clay Harbor at the at the airport. I can't remember where Clay finished. There's same- a lot of...
1: So- We thought the airport was going to be hell. You get a name drop who was just slumming it like us at the airport? We thought the airport was going to be hell because basically the entirety of the football world is trying to get the hell out of Phoenix in the same 24-hour period. Some people bounce straight from the game, the Super Bowl, to the airport to get the hell out of there as quick as possible. Um, So we arrived at the airport many hours in advance of when we needed to be there. Even more hours when you consider that our flight kept getting delayed in the process. But... So, that like, everybody's just sitting there waiting, you know, at various gates waiting for their flight to go. And it's just fascinating the number of people that you see, like, big people that you would expect to have some sort of higher class method of flight than us just, you know, waiting at the gate. I saw Ed Reed chilling, you know, and I almost went and asked him, you know, said hey and, and asked him for a photo just because Ed Reed. Uh, but number one, he Yeah, we was, should've stopped. We should've well, he stopped was like that. hip deep in phone calls, right? Presumably yeah. by design so that people don't do that. But then at one point, Charles Woodson rocks up and just starts having a chat with Ed Reed. And you're like, what the hell? There's like a hall of fame meeting class happening out here. We saw our friend, Darius Butler was there waiting for yeah. his flight. Not a hall of famer, but you know- I saw Dr. Still... Disrespect, whoever the hell that is, some YouTuber with four and a half million followers. He was just chilling there outside our gate. So all kinds how of people. How do you know Dr. Disrespect? You only know him from, because of the
0: FanDuel party.
1: Yes. That's 100% how I know him, is that he was part of the FanDuel party that we didn't get into. Oh, I didn't think you were going to bring that up. <laughs>
0: well. It's a little embarrassing. I don't think Not it was gone. our fault.
1: I don't. I think we had many methods of getting tickets, and then apparently none of them came through. The invite-only
0: party sold out somehow. Yeah. They gave out too many invites. Right. And then, you know, you're a regular... On one of the top FanDuel shows, Up and Adams, every single every single
1: Friday, you're a Look, regular. I'm sure that couldn't wasn't, even get us in. I'm sure that wasn't their fault. But I've got my FanDuel friends, couldn't get us in. But the point being, it wasn't our fault either. So I'm fine with bringing it up.
0: So, um, we went to the uh, to the shake bar.
1: We had a milkshake. Yes, milkshake bar. We had, in fact, two milkshakes, lest anybody think that we were. Sharing oh yeah, yeah. We each had one, with, one of our own. You know, in some sort of two straw yeah. scenario.
0: We almost had one because I knocked it almost at zero actually i knocked the whole table down you did which was yes. shocking so um you'd only heard of dr disrespect because it was his youtube channel that hosted
1: right the fan duel party because he has four million so subscribers. mere days before i had seen him on camera and therefore went oh look that's dr disrespect whoever the hell that is was that the first youtube legend that you've uh recognized out and about uh yes no, like in, Logan in Paul
0: or Jake Paul or whoever. The,
1: I've never seen the the Paul brothers or what's that guy, Mr. Beast. Haven't seen him around. Don't know. Don't know him. Yeah. He's the largest YouTuber Coleman, in the world. Now. Maybe we
0: ran into Brett Coleman. Oh, that's true. He's I saw a Brett YouTube Coleman legend before. Right yeah. there. Not at not a Dr. Disrespect's level, but close. Good to, good to catch up with Brett over there. But yeah, we uh, if we didn't say it Sunday night, we are dead smack in the middle of the hierarchy of uh, – nfl personnel out there
1: we are firmly in the middle class of the nfl landscape got invited
0: to some nice parties and some good stuff did not get invited to some really good parties like did not get the invites to the good stuff
1: commissioner didn't send us an invite did not Raj, no Raj didn't send us one nope
0: no commissioner's party for us no no maxim party nope didn't get into some of the big ones there was also a Super lot of breakfast. I was, I was a gonna say the breakfast.
1: <laughs> there were a lot of meals we didn't get invited to. Luncheons, breakfasts, a lot yeah. of like Super Bowl breakfast, Super Bowl lunch, Super Bowl dinner. I mean, none of those. yeah. But shout out to the people that did invite us. But we did party. get to well, I did get to see a guy with a poo dog.
0: <laughs> the poo dog. Yeah. You could check that out from Sundays
1: and you had a ton of wings.
0: All right. So that's it. Good show.
1: Yeah, good you show. Have, that was we that's show. We're, we're over the draft mistakes. that's the end of those.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, did you? I have a draft mistake, actually. Yeah, we'll- okay. I'm going to add one to the mix here. Do it. Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson.
1: Oh, wow. Is it too early to Probably. say that? Probably, yes. I think, well, it, I think that was a mistake. It's So it's a case of, like, confirming your priors, right? Because we would have said it was a mistake at the time, and it almost certainly did. And a year later, you're not going to be any less convinced of that. One year right? in, you
0: know, just looking at – grades and say war numbers hutch was much more valuable than trayvon walker look it's not it's not a crazy mistake or anything like that i am still interested in trayvon walker's development because he's a freak show yeah but he has the same issues that we saw on tape even if it happens in year three for him to break out will he actually surpass hutchinson as a player i don't know
1: but this is also the question is again like how much of how high would he have gone? How much of the whole hype surrounding Trayvon Walker was simply the news that Trent Balky and Jacksonville were in love with this dude and therefore uh, watch out, guys. He's going to go number one because you rewind a year. I was talking to Seth about this when he was filling in for you for a few shows. Like there was no talk of this guy going high at all. Like this time a year ago, he was starting to get into the first round of conversations. So D- Dane
0: Bruegler, I think, was the first one I saw of The Athletic. We want to get Dane on the show here for a long-form conversation at some point. I think had him in, like, the top 15. Right. And Dane Dane does a really good job of being the first one, not to, not from an, some of his evaluations, but some are just hearing from the league. Daniel Jer- Daniel Jeremiah does a lot of this, too. Like, first to just put new names mm-hmm. into top 32s and all that stuff. He was the first one I saw, Trayvon Walker— top 15 ish
1: and that's yeah so that's when this first started to happen is you started to get the dame bruglers of the world start to put this guy in the first round but before that we're talking about a second round player with insane athleticism that people are you know going hey that guy's got some tools blah yeah then at the draft or the combine rather in a couple of weeks the conversation was aiden hutchinson versus aiden hutchinson versus evan neal for number one right and then a yeah, a week or two later then the news started to come like Trent Baalke loves this guy like Jacksonville or Jacksonville are talking about Trayvon Walker at one and I was like really one like okay I could get middle of the first round because the dude just posted a combine that nobody else has ever seen before but one so uh, you sort of asked the question okay take Jacksonville out of the equation Trent Balky doesn't exist the Jags are not sitting there debating Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker how high would Walker go just in a normal, if the Jags didn't all take things him. being equal scenario where everybody else is just independently yeah. evaluating him was the entire thing, a product of Jacksonville and Trent Baalke specifically. Because if it was, that's quite a mistake. He probably goes in 10 to 20 range. Right. I'm thinking. So if they draft a guy— it's not
0: a dra- it, it can't be on this list of huge mistakes— Probably. But right? it's a pretty because big you, mistake, right? Yeah, but if you miss on Trayvon Walker versus Hutchinson, I don't know if it's... I'm just saying... I mean, it's you, not like a quarterback thing or even a receiver thing, but I did think Hutchinson was the, the guy that you should take at one.
1: But if you did draft a player that everybody else would have taken 20 at number one overall, just immediately, that's quite a mistake. Yeah. Unless you're immediately proved correct and he's a superstar, which hasn't happened yet.
0: Here's why I'll say that, too. I looked at the history of my draft model. Trayvon Walker, Walker, a 40th percentile player in the model. Zero of those players have become elite. And only 3% of them have become even solid using our PFF war metric. So depending on how you look at it, Walker was a long shot. Hutchinson, much more of a sure thing. And that was part of the discussion, right? Chasing the upside. Um, Chasing those thumbs up as well. A lot of people in the chat here, if you could just give us that thumbs up on your way out here, we appreciate it. Great show. Let us know your biggest, favorite, biggest, favorite, biggest draft mistakes. That's what we're going for. Hmm. Favorite, biggest draft mistakes. The last five years only. Obviously, the Trubisky-Mahomes stuff. Anybody passing on Mahomes. John Ross over Mahomes. Anybody over Mahomes, obviously, looks like a mistake
1: at this point. Yeah. Looking back. Also, so, you know, obviously, there are other other draft goofs in there as well, like Josh Rosen to the Cardinals is one that's pretty bad, but he was the fourth quarterback taken in that draft. Obviously, Lamar is a, you know, it's <laughs> not even in the same category anymore, but with three quarterbacks already taken, needing a quarterback in the top 10, and if you decided the Josh Rosen th- or the, the Lamar Jackson thing wasn't for you in terms of you're not going to go and build the Greg Roman offense for Lamar Jackson, you're going to take a quarterback, plug him into a conventional NFL offense and expect that to work, I get that like obviously it didn't work out but I don't have too much of a problem with that from a process standpoint yeah yeah I understand All right, man great show
0: that was fun so uh, tomorrow we have a very special episode tomorrow yeah taking the day off
1: we are both of us taking the day off so young Michael Renner and young Trevor Sycamore. it's like it's just football reunion here (laughs) on the
0: PFF NFL podcast slash show
1: they're gonna be they're gonna be steering the ship for us
0: So, they're going to, I don't know where they're steering it. Nope. It's going to be draft centric and people are going to love it.
1: Hopefully, not into an iceberg. It's
0: going to crush it. Everybody's going to watch and listen. So, they're going to do great. So, they're going to be on here tomorrow, live on the YouTube channel, of course, wherever you listen to your podcast. And then we're going to be here Friday with uh, Rick Spielman, former general manager of the Minnesota Vikings. Send us your questions. NFLpodcast at pff.com. Email us. NFLpodcast at pff.com. All right. That's it. Follow the the uh, the Twitter channel too, at mm-hmm. PFFNFLPod. Also Hit both of us. Like so, like the video. Subscribe to this YouTube channel and do the uh, do the bell.
1: <laughs> do the
0: you're, bell. You're starting to ask quite a lot of people these days. A lot of stuff. You're getting very needy. There's A lot We're of stuff. Age. I didn't even mention TikTok. No, I won't even mention it. Can we get the hell out of here? All right, let's go. We'll see you guys on Friday. But it, come by tomorrow for you know Brenner and prep.